We're here, Kayla. Here? Here. Now? On this moon. <laughs> no, that's Star Wars. Uh, we are here in the England Pavilion of Epcot. We don't actually have to do a uh, ride spiel for this. Oh, I know. But we're. I like to pretend that we're at the England Pavilion in Epcot because they are getting a Mary Poppins attraction at some point. That's right. I forgot about that. So until that goes in, we don't know what the ride spiel is. But we're here now, and uh, Mary Poppins has returned, apparently. Gasp. <laughs> Welcome to Animusings Plus, everybody. This is actually the last Animusings Plus we are going to do of the of this particular uh, phase of the podcast. Hi, I'm Keila King. And I'm David King. And for the first time in a very, very long time... For the first time in forever... It's just David and I. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, it's crazy to think about it. We are now almost five years into this podcast, and... We are only now getting back to what, kind of how it started, just the two of us sitting in front of a microphone. I figured for this one, we pro- it would be best if we just have it just you and I, since this is the... Uh, we're discussing the sequel to Mary Poppins, 2018's Mary Poppins Returns. It's kind of nice, actually, just having you and I for yeah. a change. Nothing against the amazing cadre of guests that we've had on the show. It's just that me and Kayla like having the opportunity to just kind of just have it be the two of us every so often. And since the last few episodes are going to all have guests on them, we figured we'd take this opportunity to kind of let it be just us again. We are moving into the, not exactly the twilight years of this podcast, but we're nearing the end of our mission statement, which was cover the entire Walt Disney Animation Studios canon from beginning to end. And, you know, as we get more films, exploring those as they come up. But we are getting near the point where we can reach a logical conclusion, at least for a bit, with Animusings. Consider this the end of the first season of Animusings. <laughs> the five-year-long first season of Animusings. <laughs> but, and yeah, we, we will probably use Animusings Plus to touch on other subjects in the future. Maybe we'll go back and visit a couple that we maybe didn't touch on in terms of animation. But since we did cover Mary Poppins before, and I actually just recently went back to listen to our Mary Poppins episode. I did too, actually. Yeah. We actually talked about, do we want to talk about Mary Poppins Returns? And we actually talked about it on mic. We hadn't planned it at the time, whether we were going to do it or not, but we agreed that we we would. Mm-hmm. So here we are, fulfilling that promise. Shall I give the history of this? If you please. Yes. So, like I mentioned, it was the sequel to Mary Poppins, and Mary Poppins came out, as we mentioned in our episode, on August of 1964. This was 54 years before the Mary Poppins Return came out in theaters. That's impressive considering what we see Dick Van Dyke do in this movie. Yes. Just saying. We'll get into that. This isn't the first time that a Mary Poppins sequel was attempted. Actually, Walt Disney was going to attempt a sequel... But let's not forget his back and forth between him and P.L. Travers. That's right. Because as soon as he said, can we do a sequel, P.L. Travers said, absolutely not. No. I don't necessarily blame Miss Travers for not wanting to do another Mary Poppins. Oh, I'll get into why. Mm -hmm. I, I know her reasoning. I have my own reasoning, but. I mean, she was very unhappy with the first one. She absolutely hated the first one. And, I mean, even though later on she said, I can understand it is technically a good movie, but it's just completely different from my vision. Right. And my book. Mm -hmm. That it was very shocking to her. But even so, she was not happy with it. They tried a second time, but in the 1980s. And you're going to bring up your least favorite person. 
Oh, Jeffrey. So Jeffrey Katzenberg, well, it's more the fact he tried again. He... Jeffrey tried. Jeff- the man devoid of so much creativity. No, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I promised I wouldn't be mean to Jeffrey anymore. Mm-hmm. I promised I wouldn't be mean to Jeffrey anymore. I'm breaking that promise a little bit, but I'll, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. There are worse people in the company who have done actually objectionably questionable, unethical oh, things. Oh, yeah. And we have uh, avoided talking about that, but also kind of have talked about it a little bit on previous ones. John Lasseter. But, um... We'll get into that later on. Oh, yeah. Because we haven't even gotten to the point where the allegations have been made against him yet. But as far as I know, despite making terrible... I want to reiterate this again. Despite making terrible creative decisions, I don't necessarily know about the person Jeffrey Katzenberg. So I'm not judging his character. I'm judging his decisions. Okay? His creative decisions. His creative decisions are garbage a lot of the time, in my opinion. But I have nothing against Jeffrey as a person. Unless I find out he did something terrible, like eat a puppy. (laughs) So he actually reached out to P.L. Travers. She's in her 80s at this point. (laughs) And actually, what he suggested is very similar to what this film is. Uh, It was going to be a Next Generation plot line where uh, the Banks kids are all grown up. And Andrews, who... I mean, this was only about 20 years after the first one. Right. So she would still play Mary Poppins. Okay. But she would be an older Mary Poppins. Okay. P.L. Travers didn't like the idea, with one exception. She loved Andrews. Now, let's not forget, she thought Julie Andrews was the best choice. That was her favorite part about Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah. She embodies Mary Poppins. But her suggestion's kind of weird. So she said, instead of... Years later, have it be one year after, but Julie Andrews still plays the part. Now, don't get me wrong, Julie Andrews looked great for her age at this point. Like, if you see her in Victor Victoria, she looked amazing. Right. And that movie came out in the 80s. But she's still, like, that's a 20-year gap. Yeah. Unless you're going to justify it by saying that Mary Poppins somehow lives in an accelerated time rate. I don't know. And She's a time lady. There are also other weird requests that she had. Like, she's like, well, Mary Poppins can't wear red because everyone knows Mary Poppins would never wear red. I'm like, what are you... What? Didn't she wear red in the She movie? did. <laughs> she did. There's a... She actually wears a red, like, jacket yes. in the uh, Step in Time scene. It's kind of iconic, honestly. Yeah. And yeah. then, not only that, she has, like, red cherries in her hat. Like, I don't know what this woman... Again, though, this... She's in her 80s. Okay. And... I mean, and she was a stubborn woman, and yes. stubbornness doesn't fade, so... No, this is true. So the po- project was dropped. P.L. Travers passed away in 1996. After that, the Travers estate and the Disney company, actually, their relationship thawed out, or they became more cordial towards each other. Mm-hmm. Hence why, in 2015, we had Saving Mr. Banks. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. They couldn't have done it when she was alive, but... No, no, of course not. But at the time, they were also cordial enough that they were able to agree to make a sequel. Hmm. Now, the funny part is when I read interviews from these individuals who worked on Mary Poppins Returns, almost all of them said, we were terrified. With good reason. Yeah. You're making, you're attempting to make a sequel to an absolutely superb movie that was made 54 years prior. Yes. The first person to be approached, or one of the first people to be approached, was Rob Marshall, who is the director of this film. 
Rob Marshall directed Chicago. Oh, that that explains a lot. Yes. Also, I, I, that was kind of interesting to learn. Um, I mean, he's done a lot of other stuff with musicals, but most notable, he did the choreography for Brandy Cinderella, interesting enough. And then he also <laughs> he also directed the TV movie version of Annie, uh, the one with Kathy Bates. That one, I actually, I like that one. I actually didn't mind that one too much. That was actually a lot of fun to watch. But at the time, he was working on Into the Woods. Now, I've never seen Into the Woods, so I can't give my judgment on that. I presume we're talking about the Disney yes. version of Into the Woods. Yes. The one where... Um, Johnny Depp is the werewolf. Yes. Or the, not the werewolf. The big bad wolf. Big bad wolf. Which is actually interesting because um, the one non-musical th- project that he worked on was Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. <laughs> which, that movie wasn't awful. That's the easy, that's the fourth. As far as pirate sequels go, that's sure. A, that's the fourth one, right? It's or, the fourth one. Yeah, that wasn't terrible. Yeah, I'm... Uh, anyone who knows me knows I'm lukewarm about the pirate sequels. I think you are hard-pressed to top a movie like Curse of the Black Pearl. Oh, no. Curse of Black Pearl is always going to be my favorite pirate film. It's actually a fun film to watch. I genuinely love it. It's well-paced. It doesn't feel too ridiculous. Like, the other ones are like, the world is ending, pirates fighting on the decks. Like, it gets too grandiose for me. Yeah, but the fourth one, I feel like, kind of returned back to it. It's not great, but... Out of all the sequels, it's probably one of the least bad. I agree. Plus, it had a lot of Jeffrey Rush in it, so I'm good with that. Yeah. So, he had just finished Into the Woods. Oh, that's why Johnny Depp isn't Into the Woods. Into the Woods. Okay, anyway. He had just finished Into the Woods, so they approached him and they said, we would love for you to direct it. He was terrified because he said, I have a deep love for Mary Poppins. So, when they came to me, I felt kind of protective of it. But I knew they were going to do it anyway, so I wanted to make sure I was a part of it. <laughs> I have to make sure it's not a, a bad sequel. I feel uh, like it's kind of interesting that the director's like, I don't like the idea of them making a sequel. Because mm-hmm. even a minute, I grew up with this film. This film is a strong part of my childhood. Yeah. And... This is a, this is a hard one to make <laughs> yeah. a sequel of. And oh, yeah. I, I fully admit that. I'll get into my feelings about the film in a second, but understanding that definitely gives me some perspective. And then they hired Emily Blunt, who actually was working on Into the Woods at the time. Uh, Rob Marshall was just like, oh, I knew exactly who to hire. If if I had not just worked with her, I would have gone through hundreds, thousands. But since I had just worked with her, I was like, she's perfect for her. <laughs> and when Emily Blunt was approached to play Mary Poppins, she said, I was excited but scared. Like, to hear that I was going to take on this iconic role, like, it frightened me. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, all these people, when they were saying, oh, do you want to work on Mary Poppins? There was like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I have never seen so many people so worried to make a sequel. It's, it's, yeah. But then it's interesting they hired Emily Blunt first before they hired the screenwriter. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even have a screenplay yet? I think they just had a, like, idea. And then they brought in the screenwriter. And then it was... Him and uh, songwriting team Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, they got together in a hotel room and came up with the whole storyline and music. Ha, huh, nice. So I should probably say... Were there tropical drinks involved? Were there I, Mai Tais involved? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so David McGee, actually, he was the screenwriter for Life of Pi and Finding Neverland. Okay. Um, I've never seen Life of Pi. I've read the book, but... I've seen Finding Neverland. Yeah, I I liked it. Yeah. And then the songwriting team, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, they're known for Hairspray. They did the music for Hairspray. Okay. 
Okay, cool. So I I looked at their other stuff. Mark Shaman, though. Mark Shaman did a lot of other stuff, but he's known for one thing that, like, I was like, oh, no way, that's so cool. He wrote the music and lyrics with Trey Parker for um, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. So, yes, he wrote, uh, what would Brian Boitano do? Yes. Yeah, he, he, yes. He, technically, he wrote yes. the song Blame Canada, which was nominated for Academy oh, Award. Oh, <laughs> bless you. <laughs> That's incredible. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. So, in, a, in all honesty, for the most part, a lot of this team has a lot of done a lot of cool stuff. Oh, no doubt. Like, no there doubt. wasn't one where I was like, oh, no. I mean, I'm, again, never seen Into Woods. I don't know what to think about it. I've never seen Life Apart. But the fact that they did Hairspray, which I, I love the musical Hairspray. Mm-hmm. And the music in it is great. Yeah. So, funny thing. They did not know anything about Katzenberg's discussions with Travers and the whole concept of having this set like years after with the Banks children. Yeah. They just came up with that on their own. Actually, weirdly enough, they had the idea to have set it a year after the original movie to start with. They kind of went backwards, weirdly enough. Oh, weird. So they had Peel Travers' idea like, oh, what if we set it a year after? And then that's when they said, but then it became kind of confusing. So this is what David McGee, the screenwriter, said. If Poppins did such a good job helping George in the first movie, why would she suddenly need to come back? And then it hit us. What if it's not about George? What if it's about his grown-up children? Mm. And then, as you can tell, a lot of this was filmed on the soundstage, like the original. Actually, they did a lot of stuff like the original. Well, yeah, they had to rebuild Cherry Tree Lane. Yeah, and they wanted to make sure it looked exactly like it. Like, Rob Archer's like, no, 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 we're not doing straight. It has to be curved, just like in the movie. You could tell this director loves this movie. And uh, we'll get into it while that's a good thing, but also... And not so good thing. Mm-hmm. The real reason why we're here is the animation. So let me talk about the animation really quick. Okay. Yeah, I, this is what I've been curious about. Because I I have a feeling as we get into this, there's not going to be a ton of discussion on the movie itself. We might touch on points. I don't feel like doing like a scene-by-scene, beat-by-beat thing. But I definitely want to talk about the animated part. Yeah, so I, I'm just... I won't go too much in depth about like the whole production history. But I will talk about the animation really quick, which is they... Definitely wanted to stick with 2D animation. They said, "There's n- CG makes no sense. This is Mary Poppins. Of course it's going to be 2D. They did do the bathtub scene was very CG heavy, though. Yes. That was all CG, pretty yes. much. And that makes sense. It's it's a sur- it's another surreal sequence. But the CG was used to create a scene. I guess it's like, I, I see it as more like, oh, here's a realistic thing that's happened. Similar to, again, we'll get into it, but that's, I feel like that's supposed to parallel... The uh, cleanup scene, the spoonful of sugar scene. Oh, no, yeah, it's absolutely the parallel of that. It's even got a similar kind of musical cadence, you know, with the... And I know they used a lot of, like, special effects with that, the spoonful of sugar scene. Specifically, they used um, uh, stop, stop motion. motion. So I think that the CG for that is, like, that equivalent. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you can find the parallels everywhere. It's, yeah. It's... We'll get into it. Okay. We keep, this is our, our motto, I feel like, often on this podcast. We'll, we'll get, get into, into it. it. But the interesting part is all the uh, 2D animators, like the old school animation 2D animators, were in retire had retired by this point. That's right, because they are 2D. They basically canned so much of their depart- 2D animation department. So uh, Rob Marshall said finding 2D animators was one of the most challenging things he had to do. Which is ironic. Yeah. 
the studio that basically made this an art form back in the day is now bereft of 2D animators. Good job, Disney. He actually had to bring in, uh, bring animators out of retirement for this project. Oh my gosh. One of them in- included uh, James Baxter. Oh. He worked on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, um, Lion King. He, he designed Belle for Beauty and the Beast. Right, right, exactly. He actually did the character animation for Mary Poppins. That explains so much of why that scene looks so lively. Yes. The way that the animated drawings were created was with pencil and paper and then scanned into a computer to be digitally inked and painted. Okay, that's cool. Okay, now we're going to get into the release. First off, I need to bring this up. Okay. Its wide release was on December 19th, 2018, but it premiered technically at the Dolby Theater on November 29th, 2018. And the reason I'm going to say that is because it's the exact same day we released Mary Poppins on Animusings. <laughs> really? No joke. Really? We released our Animusings episode on Mary Poppins the same day? Yes, on the premiere date. Oh, we did not plant this. No, we did not. Wow. Wow. So. Serendipity. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> and it's interesting because it's, that was almost four years ago. Jeez Louise. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Poppins had about a budget of 130 million, which kind of surprised me. That doesn't seem that much. In the, what, the original Mary Poppins? Today. Today. Yeah. Uh, no, the original Mary Poppins was like six to seven million, but that's right. nineteen sixty. You're saying this one had a budget this of one hundred and thirty. Okay. Yes. They grossed back about um one hundred and seventy two million domestically and one hundred and seventy seven million worldwide, giving it about a worldwide gross of three hundred and fifty million, which is not a terrible it's not like amazing. No, it's not the juggernaut that Disney always hopes their films will be at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it still made back its money. That's something. That's good. And for the most part, it did get generally favorable reviews. Like, it seemed like a lot of, a lot of critics liked it. But the word that came up quite a bit was it all had to do with nostalgia. Like, wow, this was such so nostalgic. This felt like a nostalgia trip for me. Like, wow, it just harkens back to the old film. It, that yeah. was the theme. That's, that's definitely my takeaway as well. Like... That's the thing. This movie is a nostalgia vehicle. It's riding on that nostalgia. This is a sequel, almost paint by number sequel in yeah. a way. It, 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 even though it's trying to tell a different story, like it's got its own beats, so many of the beats in it are just mild variations of the same beats from Mary Poppins. Before, uh, I know we're going to talk about it soon, uh, but let, let me first say this. Um, like its predecessor, Sir, it actually was nominated for uh, Academy Awards, oh. uh, four different ones. One for Best Design, Best Original Score, Best Production Design, and Best Original Song, which was where the place where lost things go. Okay. Yeah, I thought the same thing too. Yeah, that's me going, you can't see it, but I went, I gave Kayla, like, I did like a head turn. Yeah, like, huh. Because of the songs in the movie, that was pretty all right. Yeah. Now, there's not a bad song. There's just, the songs range from, okay, that was good, to meh. Yeah. So we... Not like anything that goes like, whoa, yeah, I'm going to be humming that for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, it, they're, they're, they're all right. I would say let's talk about our movie history, but here's our movie history. We saw it for the first time last night. Yeah, we did finally, we were like, oh, it's time to record Mary Poppins Returns. Let's watch it so our memory of it is really fresh and let's do it. There, personal history is done. But yeah, we have never seen this movie before, this. Yeah, um, we've been anticipating it for a while. But, yes. Yeah. But we decided, let's watch it now. And then it's on Disney+. Plus. Ha. We came up with the anime. We had did Animals Plus first, you fools. Ha-ha, we win. Ha-ha. Okay, yes. Okay, the movie... 
a movie set in the Great Depression. That was that was interesting. So we're about twenty to twenty five years after the events of the first Mary Poppins. Yes, potentially. So, potentially, yes. It's clearly mid. I would say mid nineteen thirties, mm-hmm. based on what I'm saying, because certain seminal events have not happened in Europe yet. We were trying to place the time period because it doesn't open with the thing saying like Cherry Tree Lane during the Great Slump. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just trying to place it. So, okay, so we have our, our time period. There are cars. There's other things. Definitely lends well to the motif of certain things later. Cherry Tree Lane. It looks a lot like the original. Which is good. Well, I mean, I'll tell you the first real nostalgic thing that hit me. Uh, actually, weirdly enough, was... Uh, so they had that whole bit where Lin-Manuel comes in. Uh, now, let's let's talk about him in general real quick. Because yeah, he's he's this movie's Bert. Let's be honest. Every, every character in here is just... We're going to be like, oh, this is this movie's equivalent of... Such and such from Mary Poppins. No joke. This movie is a complete parallel to the first one. And I mean complete parallel. Yeah, which is my... I kind of... It's both a strength and a weakness of the movie. It, in one sense, it is a wonderful callback to the film. It the, the, the creators knew their source material very well. And it does pay homage to it. The problem is, as someone who has seen the film Mary Poppins so many times, loved it. And enjoyed it. It just feels... At times, it almost felt like a copy. The the times I enjoyed the movie the most, generally, were when they were doing things that were different. Yes. Well, I mean, for... I mean, yeah. So, like, sometimes it was a little bit like, uh, really? I mean, there there are bits that... There are callbacks that, that were definitely nostalgic for me that I liked. Um, I liked that we had an opening credit sequence. I yes. love opening credit sequences in movies. Yes, I think that was a... Good. That was definitely a callback, but yeah. I liked it. And I liked that it was done with, much like in the original, with just the the, sh- the paintings of London in the in the first one. This one was, like, actually Michael Banks's paintings that he'd done. Or lo- they looked like they were supposed to be maybe his paintings, you know? Yeah. Another thing, too, I like that they do bring back 2D animation, that they that she does take him into a 2D animated world. I will say, Lin-Manuel Miranda is basically playing Bert. It's- He's even got... The, the accent. He's got the fake as all get out accent. But similar to uh, Dick Van Dyke, I got used to that accent very quickly. He grew on me. He grew honestly. on me too. Like Jack, the Lamplighter Jack. He's not the most interesting character. But then again, like you could say the same thing about Bert. There's not that much to Bert. I don't know. Like I'm trying to make the art, trying to separate the nostalgia from the thing because I know, I don't know. It's just like, well, he's, he's there. He's doing his best. I don't blame Lynn. But... He's, 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 he's fine. Yeah. Lynn is fine. There are moments where he shines. I especially enjoy, well, I mean, we'll get to it. We'll get to the, the animated part, because that's the main part we should talk about we probably, as, in this podcast. We probably should talk about Lynn. Let's, let's, let's do it bit, like, by people. I want to talk about Lin-Manuel Miranda really quick, because we're going to see him again in, with Encanto. Um, he's, de- and I don't doubt that he's going to play more of a role in Disney movies and will eventually become a Disney legend. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. Oh, yeah. But uh, let's talk about how we learned about Lin-Manuel Miranda. Because <laughs> I, I did not learn about him from Hamilton. Just letting you guys know. Um, Ditto. We had first learned about Lin-Manuel Miranda from a podcast called My Brother, My Brother and Me. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people know who the McElroy brothers are. So we probably don't have to delve into it too much. I mean, he's done things with, with them as a guest that they wouldn't have let anybody else do. Because he is unironically a fan of their podcast. Oh, yeah. And uh, there was a point where he did guest star. And I think that was the 
first time I actually heard him talk and all that. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I did know about In the Heights before I knew about Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he created it. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I, I'd i never seen In the Heights. I, I still haven't seen In the Heights. But I knew about it because... I had friends who were musical people. I actually know quite a bit about musicals and Broadway mm-hmm. musicals. Not a lot as much about recent runs, unfortunately. But I knew about In the Heights. I knew it got won an Academy Award. First time I heard about Hamilton was when he spoke with Mac Royce. He was like, yeah, my musical Hamilton's coming out in a couple days. And they're like, oh, that's awesome. Well, good luck with your show. Da, da, da. And then Hamilton... Took off like nobody's business. Jeez. <laughs> to say anything less would be an understatement for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and then of course it was amazing to find out that he works some a McElroyism into his musical with unless unless. <laughs> the second thing I heard from him was uh, I don't know how, but I picked up an interview from him. It was like a short interview. I don't know if it was like on YouTube or whatever it was. I can't remember. But he was talking about, like, how he first met Weird Al and how he was just so starstruck. And he said, I actually was in his house. And I told him, hey, I I know, it's like, your house looks amazing. I know you majored in architecture. Did you design it yourself? And when I I said that, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) What did, and I'm like, wow, there's something kind of endearing about that. And I realized as I watch his career, it's kind of fascinating because this is a guy who clearly is a nerd and a dork. And he's that type of person where he's like, you almost think to yourself, is he just going up to people? He's like, can I please work on this? And they're like, yeah, of course you're going to work on this. You're Lin-Manuel Miranda. like, And he's working on stuff that y- you could cl- tell that he is excited about, like yeah. projects he's excited about. It's oh. like, it, it, it's like, oh, it's almost like with DuckTales. Can I please be in DuckTales? Yeah, of course you can be in DuckTales. You're going to get the role. Probably with Mary Poppins too. I can only imagine him being like, oh my gosh, you're making a Mary Poppins sequel? Can I please be Mary Poppins sequel? Yeah, can of course. I be, can I be the Burt equivalent? Yeah, of course you can. You're, you're Lin-Manuel Miranda. Who's going to Now, in the, in the universe of the movie, Jack is like an apprentice of Burt's. Like, I, I will admit, that's a little... Yeah, I kind of... That kind of... Yeah, he didn't need to be like that. It was a little too on the nose with the parallels. Like, I used to... I met her when I was a kid. I was Burt secondhand. And I'm like, can he just be a lamplighter? Like, why do we have to... Well, it would explain why he's able to get all of the Learys to do a, a, a step in time number like later in the musical, which is fine. There's some good stunt work involving bikes and some good dancing, but like I look at it and go, it's just Chim- it's, it's, it's just, just step in time, time, but not as good as step in time because it it because it, it's aping off step in time. The Learys yeah. are just this movie's equivalent to the chimney sweeps, the League of Chimney Sweeps. So it doesn't. It does. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I like. I didn't. Didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. But it didn't. It didn't inspire me. It didn't go like wow. So it wasn't innovative. It didn't. It wasn't trying to be necessarily. It was trying to be somewhere in the middle. I think. Yeah. You know, like I get being protective of the work, but then I guess that that's just kind of indicative of my general meh feelings about this movie. Is it's just as I said, just kind of a paint by numbers. Here's the parallel to Mary Poppins that you know from before. And you're going to get that, and it's going to happen in this sequence, so you know the chimney sweep thing's going to happen at the end, and it's going to happen before this part, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I, as someone who knows the original film pretty well, 
Like, I'm like, okay, so when are we getting to this movie's equivalent? And, it, and we got to that movie's equivalent. And, and it went exactly scene by scene, too. Practically, yeah. Now, the main premise of this film is, yes, we're, we're following the, uh, the lives of the Banks children. Um, specifically, we have jo- uh, uh, Michael Banks, who is now an adult, working part-time as a teller, but is actually a painter slash artist, um, now having to raise three kids on his own after his wife has passed away. And within the last year. Within the last... No, it was only a few months before that. Yeah, it's relatively fresh. Mm-hmm. And now he's dealing with the fact that he has forgot... He's behind on his payments for a loan he had to take out. And uh, because it's depression times, they can barely afford things. Um, and... But they can afford a maid. The, the money situation with them is kind of... It's but I, I didn't oh, quite understand it. It was very strange. And also, I was trying to put some things together. Clearly, Mr. and Mrs. Banks, the seniors, they're out of the picture. Like, yes. they, they've passed away, I presume. Because it's been like 20, 25 years or something. Yes. And they're living in their childhood home. Well, Michael is... Okay. Michael is, but apparently Jane is living in a flat downtown. And she's basically doing what her mother did in the previous movie. Instead of being like a suffragette... Now she's a, a, like, she's basically pro-union, you know, workers' rights, pro-things for the poor. Like, she's doing a lot of rallies. She's in an organization. Like, she clearly took after Mrs. Banks because we needed a character who was that kind of, like, champion for the for the downtrodden in mm-hmm. England at the time. Yes. Uh, and Michael, now I will give credit. Okay, the adult Michael Banks. I th- was worried in a few things he was going to go the route very much of, you know, his father, you know, Mr. Banks Sr. But there are moments where he starts to go into those places where he gets angry and then he course corrects himself and he becomes vulnerable. And I love that. I love that it wasn't such a paint by numbers that he, they didn't let him be his own character. He's he's like, he, he's like trying his best to be an adult, but he doesn't really know what he's doing. And he's willing to accept help from other people. Unlike his father who was, yes. had to be, who was very stubborn. And I like that. I really thought like there was a moment in there. I was like, Oh, phew. I almost like wiped my eyes. And isn't it kind of sad that I was like worried that yeah. it was going to go that way because it was such a paint by numbers thing. So when something different happened, I'm like, good. Well, I think out of all the characters, his was the most realistic in terms of how he's handling his life. Like this is a man who has lost his wife. So when he gets angry at his children, but then breaks down, I'm like, you know what? I can't blame him. He has to take on so much, and now he has to deal with the fact that his house is being repossessed because he's fallen behind on his loan. And since they're like, it's too late, you have you either pay back the loan now or we take your house. Yeah, and I kind of liked I kind of liked that the opposite was true of his his children. Like in the original, the children were like they were expected to be too serious, and all they wanted to do was play. Here, the children are already serious because they're doing their best to try and help their father, mm-hmm. and it's and. And they have to kind of learn to... They, they feel like they're being forced to grow up too quickly, basically. Yes. And um, like, so it's they're trying to do like a parallel. And but like, like a, or like a mirror situation there. There is a difficulty because their youngest brother, Georgie, is, is clearly too young to understand yeah. certain things. And it's like, you can tell the two children are trying to be grown up and adult. But Georgie clearly just wants to have fun. <laughs> Georgie's, so, Georgie's the one who summons Mary Poppins, yeah, let's be honest. Uh, in a weird way. Yeah, okay, the way she showed up was bizarre because it's they. it uses the kite from the first movie. They find it in the attic. Yeah, so George and Jane are... So the whole backstory going on is that uh, George and Jane know that 
their dad took out a share for them in the bank and if they can prove that they should be allowed to get their house back that would be that would be plenty proof for that and they said oh maybe it's maybe it's in the attic and then Michael sees his childhood kite and or the the kite and all the old stuff he's like this is all just junk we need to throw this out like this is this is ridiculous and he throws out the kite and the kite gets taken away by the wind because of course it does and Georgie sees it and chases after it just not like oh oh I want to go play with it that doesn't even come across he just sees it and just chases after it and then Decides out of the blue, I'm going to fly this kite. And it's not really presented well. Like, it would make it's, sense. It's, it's supposed to be all dramatic, and there's dramatic music. And I'm like, that, why is there suddenly this tension here? What's happening? I, well, this is also how they kind of shoehorn Jack into it, because he shows up to help stop uh, Georgie from being blown away. And he's there to conveniently introduce the children to Mary Poppins, which is where I think the, the pacing of this movie starts to show how weird it is, because you had to know about the pacing, too. Yeah, the pacing is not good. I will say, throughout the movie, the pacing is not really good. Because I feel like a lot of this is a little too quick, or it's awkward. You know, actually, I think it's too quick. Even though this movie is like two hours and 20 minutes long. Oh, I thought it was uh, short, but I think we I listened to our podcast, and we said it was like, the original movie is two hours and 39 minutes long. Yeah, so they're about, they're very similar. Yeah. In terms of their length. But I don't know why this one feels paced a little too fast it's snappy and not necessarily in the best ways you don't kind of linger a lot enough on certain bits it's just like oh and then and it's like okay but at the same time it's still long which is very strange it's just kind of awkward although okay this is one of the ways that it gets paced badly is in the beginning because there's something you and i missed this when we first heard because i i didn't realize until later like oh they were calling for jane and michael banks not because it was just so loud and chaotic. They're like, oh, bang, like, blah, 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 banks. And you see the, the, I see these adults, people come downstairs. And I'm just thinking, oh, that must be Michael and his wife. And the weird part is, <laughs> yeah. So here's the weird part. Yeah. Michael and the, the actor playing Michael and, uh, the actress playing, uh, Jane, who's, it's Emily Mortimer, who I've seen her in other stuff. Great actress. Voice of, uh, English voice of Sophie. In, uh, in Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah. They have chemistry, but they have romantic chemistry? I don't, I don't think it was written that way. I think no, the actors they, just have really good, good on-screen chemistry, chemistry, but it doesn't feel like siblings. It feels like, uh, like, uh, it feels like lovers. It feels like romantic. So when I... So we kept seeing them have these moments with each other where they're very tender and we just kind of go like, Because when we first saw it, I didn't hear the their names at first, and... I was just like, oh, yeah, I guess uh, this is Michael and his wife. And then you can, uh, they're being silly with each other. I'm like, oh, that's cute. They seem to have really good chemistry. And then later on, it's like, oh, no, I'm his sister. I'm like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> no. And then the, no. And then there's moments where she's, like, hugging him and she's closing in. I'm like, this is a little, and it, it's not like it's anything scandalous or anything. No, but it. The chemistry is just a little too romantic for... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which for... is probably why, which is interesting. So when, like, the movie tries to, like, shove uh, Jane and Jack 
together as a couple. And Mary Poppins is trying to set them up, too. I'm like, they have no chemistry at all. Yeah, it feels awkward. There was more chemistry between those two actors for Michael and Jane. And that's weird because it's like, uh, 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 we got to avoid the incest. Okay, uh, here's Jack. Uh, look, he's very handsome. He's, uh, um, you know, he's he's Puerto Rican. Uh, yeah. (laughs) He's got a bad Cockney accent. Uh, I mean, Dick Van Dyke did, too. Uh, we, uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, there is more chemistry between, um, Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. Honestly. Although, it's not like Dick Van Dyke and, okay, and I say this in a good way. With Dick Van Dyke and Julie Andrews, they actually did have romantic slash sexual chemistry when yeah. they were on screen. And that's why they had to write a line that says, no, 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 we're not together. Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda do have chemistry. Like, they do work well together. I didn't see it as romantic. Yeah, that's though. what I'm saying. They have more chemistry than Jack and Jane did. Yeah, just in, like Jack and Jane have no chemistry whatsoever. Like it's it, not did, even, it did not come across. It just felt so it felt forced. forced. I mean, that said, I don't think anyone has a bad performance in this movie either. No. I, I, don't, I can't point to anyone and go, "That's a bad performance." If anything, my gripes in the movie are more about the script and the the pacing. But one other weird thing is we're talking about the equivalence of stuff. So we got we got Jack. We got Michael and Jane now fulfilling roles as kind of the, as the, as the new Bankses, the current generation of Bankses. We have the, the, yeah. the new Banks children. Uh, the Admiral and Mr. Binnacle are still there, but they're much older. I do like them. That is no, a, no, no. I've always, as, yeah, I've always a, liked that. As a callback, that's a good callback. It's a really good callback because you couldn't have Cherry Tree Lane without the Admiral. Yeah. In and my he's in his wheelchair now and they're still like together as like, this amazing heterosexual life couple, like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, I'm with this. You know what? I like this that they're they, they are just so determined to play this role as captain and admiral, and yeah. that they're commanding the ship. And I'm like, yes. Actually, one of my favorite bits of of screenwriting in this was the whole thing about the cannon being five minutes off with Big Ben. Oh yeah. And I thought, oh, that's cute. That's that's a funny deal. And the payoff of that when they have to turn the clock back at Big Ben. And, and and the admiral's cannon is on time is a better payoff than what it was actually intended for, which was to stop the banker from foreclosing yes. on their house. And they had to literally turn back the clock and cheat it. But like the fact that the admiral has always tried to be on time and Big Ben is not, and then it it lines up. I was like, that was great. Like that's an inspired bit of writing. Like that there was a nice build up to that, and I, I enjoy it when stuff like that happens in in films or or narratives. It's just it's just satisfying. Like it's like. Mm. Remember, okay, another flaw with this film is we have a quote unquote villain now. That was yeah. It's Colin Firth playing yeah. an evil banker. Mm-hmm. There's an evil banker, and he's got two bumbling bank lawyer henchmen. Yes, and it's just in the original there was no villain. Like the bank, capitalism was, was the villain. Capitalism was the capitalism villain. was the villain, and the bank was mainly just a obstacle. Like they weren't bad people or anything. They weren't like villains. I mean, even the, like when they get to the whole animation part, Colin Firth and uh, the other two actors actually play kind of villain equivalents in the animated. Yeah, they're like Dream World versions of themselves, but uh, as a wolf, a badger, and a and a, a weasel. Yeah. Which, in a, one, in, a, in a strange way, is kind of cute, and um, that can speak volumes. But it's still like the whole, oh, look, I'm a wolf. I'm a villain. I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. Rolls eyes to mm-hmm. the back of head so far. And, and Colin Firth is, Colin Firth, again, not a bad performance, but it's more that the villain is just your typical, I like money. Yes. We've got to, to have, have money. money. I want to foreclose because it's good business for the bank. 
And it really does continue on that message like, oh, it's just a few bad eggs in the bank making terrible. This is the depression. Everything sucks. Yes. You don't need a villain to foreclose on the house. It just felt, I don't know, that was one of the weakest parts, honestly. And I, as much as I like Colin Firth as an actor, it is one of the weakest parts of the film is having Colin Firth, having a villain in the first place. As a, a greedy banker villain be well, a thing. Like before, it was like, no, this with the bankers in the first film, it was like, no, this is just how things are. This is how we were raised. We have to do things properly. This is which, just, is, which is a great, which aligns well with Mr. Banks. Yes. It's because that's how he was raised too. Yeah. It's like, we have to do things properly. That's just how it's he's, done. He's a punctual, tight shirt, British man. But as a result of this belief, they have become selfish. And yes. not like intentionally thinking, I'm going to be selfish, just that's how it becomes. And they begin to neglect everything around them in favor of what they were taught to believe. Yes. And it's through like basically weird circumstances. In this case, in the case of the first movie, Mr. Banks losing his job and realizing what does that mean for him. And then, um, feed the birds and then, Realizing, well, and then him using a joke to accidentally murder Dawes Senior, <laughs> making him laugh himself to death. Let's be real, but Dawes Senior is dead because of Mister Jank- Banks's joke about the wooden leg named Smith, mm-hmm. which was Bert's joke, which is great. Or was that Uncle Albert's joke? It's Uncle Albert's joke. Anyway, I'm just saying, um, the villain. One of the one of the lawyers is kind of sympathetic and is ultimately kind of on their side, but like the the Banks's side he doesn't want to be a bad person, but like. They're still kind of bumbling henchmen, i.e. It, it's just the whole bank subplot is kind of weak. Mm-hmm. And it leading to that, like, oh, no, race against time climax, where they have to stop the clock and all the the Learys are, like, riding in a bike <laughs> a bike gang through the street and leap, leaping off things. I did enjoy seeing the bike stunts. That was cool. Yeah. But there's that part where they're they're doing the tripping to the light fantastic or yeah. whatever. And they, they have that area in the park where they're doing the number and they have like bike ramps and stuff. And I was like, all I could think of was the bit in Hook when <laughs> they introduced the Lost Boys. Um, <laughs> oh, that is so dangerous. <laughs> Roofie! Oh! Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So anyway, uh, the villains are whatever. They're fine. I mean, we don't we don't need them. And I think it we cheapen, weakens the movie a little bit by having this whole... We have to stop the bank for closing on the house plot line. They could have probably done something else. Or still had the bank for closing on the house, but we didn't need a villain. Although it does lead... I want to put this in a bracket for later because I want to talk about the two sort of quote-unquote returning actors in this. Yes. Um, But we'll get to that because we have to talk about... We do have to talk about Dawes Jr. Well... At some point. Yes. But... Can we talk about Mary Poppins? Okay, yeah. I was getting around to that. Or, but Although, uh, before we get to Mary Poppins, she's amazing. I okay, also. I'm gonna just. I want to do one more equivalent that's in this movie. Okay. In actors, and that's uh, cousin Topsy, who is this oh. movie's? Let's be real, is this movie's Uncle Albert? I dislike this. I dis- this is this is the weakest part of the movie. I agree. Like, like, yeah, I think we both looked at this and like, oh, why is this happening? So with Uncle Albert, he was just Uncle Albert. It was never Mary Poppins's uncle. She was just this is Uncle Albert. This is, she actually says, oh no, my cousin. I'm like, why does she have a cousin? Some like second cousin or something? Like, yeah, it's but it's like weird. And in this case, it's uh, Meryl Streep as um, Cousin Topsy. And it's weird. Because it's like clearly the Uncle Albert scene. And the house gets turned upside down because it's the equivalent of like, oh, 
having a tea party on the ceiling. Neat production design. Great. I'll yeah. give it that. The production design in this is great. In all honesty, the production design for this film is really good. They great. have an upside down room. There's parts where they're standing on their head, but all their but their clothes are defying the gravity, so they're still pointing like toward the floor, mm-hmm. even though they're all standing on their heads on the ceiling. Like I thought that was neat, but little visual gags like that. But the song and the surrounding narrative with Cousin Topsy is just not interesting no i i don't oh look, no it's a second wednesday which means everything's upside down i i agree I, 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 I like absurdity in the movie just as much as the next person but what's the point yeah well at least with like the uncle albert one his situation was like oh no this is actually a oh a difficult one he laughed himself so hard that now he's bouncing off the ceiling and we need to get him down yeah and it was more like when we said uncle albert I mean, Bert was calling him Uncle Albert, so we don't know whose uncle it was. Yeah, so Bert's like, he's just, he's like everyone's uncle. Yeah, and Bert's like, oh, it's Uncle Albert. We, and it's like, oh no, poor guy. And then they both go to him to address him. And it is like, don't get me wrong, this is a scene that really has no real bearing on the plot whatsoever for the first film. But it's a good, like, side of it just to... Yeah, because something interesting actually happens. And like, it's Ed Wynn being all charismatic and stuff. Yeah. And like, it's fun. Uh, and, and, and again, I want to stress this, but the, I, the- Mer- Meryl Streep is playing a inter- a fun character who is not used well. She's like this weird, um, oh, like no, my house is Eastern down. European Romani-esque. Oh like, yeah. And they- I don't know. She's like got a weird accent and she's got like paintbrushes holding her hair bun up and her house is she can apparently fix anything that's her whole deal she like runs a repair shop but it's just this the song is something about going turtle and i i don't remember it at all like it was that and they solve it so easily and then it's just over and i'm like it was just an excuse for a number that doesn't and we never see that china bowl again that's right. Oh my gosh. It never comes back. It never comes back. They gave it to her to fix it, and then we never see it again. I don't and know if there was anything like post-credits, but we didn't watch post-credits, so. Yeah. It's just, at least with the Uncle Albert, it was a side away, but at least it's like, oh no, he's stuck up there. We have to get him back down. In this case, it's like, oh, we're trying to deliver a bowl. Oh, I, her house is upside down, so. There's a plot reason, actually. I just realized in the first Mary Poppins, we learned the power of laughter. And oh, how it makes you float. That's because true. then it happens to Dawes Senior. That's right. That is a see, that is a tightly written bit because it, it's, right. it's important that, to the plot. And this has no bearing because not only do we never see Topsy or the place again and it all kind of feels sidelined, but we never see the bowl that would belong to their mother yeah. again. And that's the bowl that they use to get into the animation sequence, which uh, you want uh okay well i want to talk about the animation i know we got to talk about well, well, before we get to that because i i want to i want to kind of want to save that for among the last things we talk about because we should talk about mary poppins now we can finally talk about mary poppins i think emily blunt makes a very very good mary poppins like it's kind of spot on how good she is as mary poppins it's it's funny because like you can tell it's a different actress but she is mary poppins yes like she's she's like kind of like how Julie Andrews is not Julie Andrews when playing Mary Poppins, she just is Mary Poppins. Yes, Emily Blunt nails it, and she is literally the next regeneration. She's the regeneration. regeneration. She's the regeneration, continuing the theme of you know Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins a... being a time time lady. Yes. Yeah. I like. I watch. I'm like, yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. Emily Blunt is Mary Poppins in this. Like the the mannerisms. 
the the mix of strictness but also whimsy like it's all there it's her trying to be strict but then embracing whimsy and then denying that she loves whimsy but clearly loving whimsy like nobody's business yes we get to see a different side of mary poppins too yeah which is great and we'll get around to that but no i just want to say just how good she is in this and Mm -hmm. i i think they 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 cast her superbly to play this part. Absolutely. Like, I just, that, she, I have no complaints about, about Emily Blunt's Mary Poppins. That's, re- it's really good. And also, uh, her first song, which is Can You Imagine Now, I think that's actually not a bad song. And also, that scene's not terrible either. I know it's the spoonful of sugar equivalent, <laughs> yeah. but it's different enough that I think it works. Can you imagine yeah. that? Yeah, it um, works. It's fine. And the reason, well, here's why. One, the whole thing is a bathtub scene, and it's actually a reference to another Disney film. That's a reference to um, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. It has some Bed Knobs and Broomsticks energy. It definitely does. And along with that, it's kind of the introduction into what she can do. Yes. What she can, and the kids realizing, oh, this isn't just some regular nanny. This is... Oh my god, it just hit me. What? No, 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 I'll get to it. Okay. But it just hit me because you mentioned bread knobs and broomsticks. Okay, well, we'll keep going. Um, we'll keep going. But I think... I'll, I'll promise I'll get to it. I'm putting a pin in it. Okay. Putting a pin in it. But out of all the scenes that have happened, that's it's not my favorite one, but it's one of the better ones, I think. Yeah, no, that scene is fine. Uh, I uh, I think the best scene is still when they go into the, the bowl. And we yes. get this movie's equivalent of the chalk world. But this time it's the China Bowl with illustrations on it. And this oh. is where the animation comes in, and it's... Now, I'm not going to lie. When I saw I'm like, okay, David, here comes the animation scene. I get ready to judge. And then I saw I'm like, it's really good. They this really is... do make it look like it's made of, like, porcelain. Oh, yeah, because I was like, oh, this is... I'm like, oh, wow. The uh... At first when I saw it, because I saw the background, I'm like, oh, the background's kind of eh. And then it was, oh, no, it's supposed to look like the artwork on China. Oh, that's clever. And then you finally see the characters. You're like, oh, they look so good. Yeah. Like, they're animated so good. I love it. Oh, my gosh. I mean, there's a literal Irish setter who yes. is a, uh, you know, the coachman, uh, voiced by Chris O'Dowd. Yeah. From the IT crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the horse. He's, he's the, I, I realize he's also an equivalent to uh, our, our, no, Scottish fox or Irish fox. From the first film? Oh, the horse? No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Seamus or whatever. Seamus from uh, uh, Seamus from the uh, original film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saints, Preservus. Yeah. yeah, we got that. We got... Now we have an Irish settler that's Irish. Yeah, that's true. Oh, but the penguins came back, too. Yes. The waiter penguins are back. They're here, too. I don't know why they existed in the China Bowl universe, but that's okay. There's lots of fun, colorful animal characters, which to me is both representative of... This is also what feels like a nod to bed knobs and broomsticks. It's a whole menagerie of animal people, kind of like the yes. island of Nabumbu. Yeah. Like, and I love the song. I mean, the songs here are, are fine, but it's not It's not the lead-up to when they go to the, to the theater. The, the musical. Actually, that song the was... Music- it's kind of fun. It's okay. Um, It's not like the... Okay, the best song in the whole film, in my honest opinion, is uh, a cover is not a book. Yeah. So this is where I think the movie shines because it's, it's a way to make it feel like something out of Mary Poppins, but have it be different. Because this is a cabaret number. Yes. Like we see Mary Poppins and Jack do a cabaret number together and 
this is where I'm like, oh yeah, it totally is the director of Chicago. Because it has that kind of energy to it. Yes. It's not like risque, but it's definitely like, it leans kind of on that cabaret bodiness, but it's like for fun. Like there's a little bit like, hey, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to some of the energy of it. And it's like Mary Poppins losing her like prim and proper and getting really like just almost vaudeville. And she's got a bowler hat and like, she's like singing this song. It's so much fun. Yes, it is. Like, this is the high point of the movie for me. The movie it, peaks way too early, but when it peaks, it peaks at a good point. It is the supercalifragilisticexpialidocious equivalent. It's also a little bit Jolly Holiday with Mary. A little bit. If you think about the yeah. energy of it. Mm-hmm. But it feels so much like its own thing and so unique and yeah. different that I... This is what it should have been. Yeah. Oh, the, I agree. Like... Uh, it should be a slight callback, not a paint by numbers. Like yeah, so. everything after and like before that is very paint by numbers. And so, but this being its own like this stage show, and they've got these pop up books, and they're singing this song. Lynn even gets a rap number, which I feel like they add in there because they're like, you know, we have Lynn Manuel Miranda, we have Lynn Manuel Miranda it's, Howard. It's pretty well done. It I'm is well not done. Gonna lie, it's very good. Jack gets to kind of show off his chops, and it's like okay. I could, this is like one of those times when I see him as a Burt equivalent and not as like, as a bad thing. Like he's, he, but he's also kind of being himself. So I'm like, okay, good. They're defining him a little more. And it's just, it's just a fun scene overall. And it's probably the, yeah, the best song in the movie. Yes, I agree. This is my favorite part. I think the animated scene in this movie is my favorite scene in the whole movie. I, which I'm grateful for as someone, like, this is an animation podcast. We were here to watch this because of the animation in the film. Yeah. And the fact that the animation is the best part is like, oh, yeah. oh thank goodness. They even, they even managed to work in, because there are villains in this, because of the wolf and the two henchmen in this, they managed to work in a live action and animation, like, exciting chase sequence involving a, a steam-powered cart. And a kidnapping. Yeah. And that was fun because it also uses the uh the shape of the bowl as kind of the as kind of the reason for the gravity weirdness. And like then the whole thing ends up feeling like a bizarre nightmare for Georgie. Like it's it's neat. This part is so neat. I liked it. I liked how fun it was. Yeah. I, I, I could gush about that for a while, and we have. So I think maybe we should uh do you think we're we're close to wrapping here? couple things one i want to talk about the song the place where lost things go because that's yeah that's the show number that's the one that's the that's the um feed the birds of this movie and yeah the feed the birds slash um uh stay awake yeah it kind of is but the problem okay so the song is supposed to be right after like that whole scene happened the anime scene happened and they talk about how they miss their mother and she says, well, you can't miss something that hasn't been lost. And I'm like, where are you going with this, Mary? Oh, no, Mary. So the whole song, it's like, you haven't really lost, you miss these things, but maybe you haven't really lost them. They just go where the lost things go. This is tricky, because there's some lines in it that work and lines that don't. I lost my dad about six years ago. So I'm looking at this from someone who did lose a parent. And if someone told me the song, like hearing the song and thinking about my own situation, I'm like, this isn't exactly something I want to hear. Like if after losing a parent, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just like, there's some things that work like, um, so when you need her touch and loving gaze, gone, but not forgotten is the perfect phrase. 
And that's like, okay, yeah, that works. I like that. See, I like that sentiment. But then there's lines like, for when you'll dream you'll find that all that's lost is found, maybe on the moon or maybe somewhere new, maybe all your missing lives inside you. Okay, there's some sweetness there. But then there's the whole, though they've disappeared, nothing's really lost or lost without Drace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. This is about losing a parent. Like, this isn't, I don't see, like, my a parent who's passed away as, like, gone somewhere that only lost things go. Like, this is a weird comparison. It's... Yeah, well, I mean, this is this is a weird territory for Mary Poppins in general because this is Mary Poppins helping a family deal with death, with grieving. Did you yeah. think about it? The family won't admit it, but they're all grieving. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're dealing... Especially Michael. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That actor does a phenomenal job portraying his, like, grief. Oh, absolutely. Why can't I remember his name? It's uh, Ben Wishaw is the actor's name. Yeah, he's he's great. I, I don't, we haven't given him enough credit. I mean, I'd mentioned him before, but like his, he's, he does a good performance in this. I agree. And he carry, he has to, because he needs to carry so much of that on his shoulders. And much like David Tomlinson had to carry so much of Mr. Banks in that one, it's important that the father figure in this have a big part. And I like that it, again, it was different. Anyhow, I'm just saying, I want to give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to look to see what he's done. And then I'm like, oh, he's Paddington Bear in Paddington. Ha ha ha. That's awesome. I'm with you about the song, though. It's it's okay, mm-hmm. it's but it's okay. it is it's still it's weird. It's like it handles dealing with grief in an unusual way, and you can mm-hmm. kind of tell in a, in a in almost in a sense, Mary Poppins. I almost get the feeling she doesn't quite know how to handle this. But the problem is, the idea of Mary Poppins is she's practically perfect in every way. But maybe this is the one time it's practically. She does help them, but she. I, she can't really, there's not much she can, she it, she can't just make grieving go away. I, I, she can only try to help make it easier. I think the song could have been written a little bit better. In all yeah. honesty, I know they're trying to make it a little whimsical with the whole dish running away with the spoon and then all yeah. that. But it's, with the, Feed the Birds, it does use an interesting metaphor of uh, paying a tuppence to feed the birds to be kind, give back, and it's not a bad metaphor. No. It's a very interesting, beautiful metaphor, and it works because you get to visually see it on screen. For sure. Here, especially when you're dealing with grief mm-hmm. and the loss of a loved one, that's... you got to be a bit more careful than that. I feel like this was not handled as well, the song was handled as well as it should have been. I um, agree. I think that's all I'll say. I was just thinking, and I was thinking about just outside of the song, though, the way Mary Poppins is trying to help the family deal with their grief, though. And there are little moments where you see that she is kind of struggling. Like, she's like, hmm. Like, there's, you can tell she's contemplating, how do I help? How do I fix this? Mm-hmm. That's how, at least that's what my takeaway from it. And she does. She does help. But this is something that does have to be handled on its own. Mm-hmm. We've never seen Mary Poppins tackle death. No. Before. No one died in, except for Dawes Sr. <laughs> speaking he, of which. Who is like a hundred something years yeah, old. Yeah, but he, he was expected. He, he died laughing. So it was happy. And speaking of Dawes uh, Sr. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want, this is how I want to bookend this. Okay. First, let's talk about the man, the myth, the legend that is Dick Van Dyke. He or uh, or what was it in the credits? Oh, it was on uh, an anagram of his name. I can't they, remember. But they, they did that. They did it in the first one, too. Yes. <laughs> 
I like the th- so in the original film he plays Dawes Senior, which is hilarious because he they put on a lot of makeup for that because he was so young at the time and the makeup was so good that the kids playing Jane and Michael Pinks were like, oh gosh, is that guy okay? And thought he was gonna die like at any moment. Um, and they, did, they didn't realize <laughs> they didn't it was. Know it was Dick they Van didn't know Dyke. it was Dick Van Dyke. And now, like Dick Van Dyke is at the ex- like the right age where they don't even have to do makeup as all, at all as Doss Junior. Yeah, which is amazing. <laughs> and he, it's like he looks just like he did when he was in the original. He gets his moment at the end, and oh. it's, it's fun. It's great to see him just basically playing Doss Senior, but reborn as Doss Junior. It it is astounding that. Dick Van Dyke still has the energy he does at his age. He has a little dance number. I know. And I'm just like, he continues to be charming and has this charisma that, like, you, I'm like, I, I almost don't see an old man at all. No, it's, it's like he's still a young man playing an old man. Yeah. Like, it's just, my goodness, I, this, Dick Van Dyke looks great for his age. Yeah. And he just... He still has it. Like, I'm just in awe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, big, big ups to big Dick Van Dyke. This was fun. It was great to see him. Mm-hmm. And we knew that a sequel would have to include him if he's still around. Which leads us to the finale of the movie when everything is resolved and we get to the balloon scene in the park. Yes. Now, this caught me completely by surprise. I had no idea Angela Lansbury was going to be in this movie. Yes. Now, the way she's set up feels like, oh... This was written for Julie Andrews to clearly make a cameo as another character. Mm-hmm. But you explained to me the detail about Julie Andrews, why she turns turned it down. So they did have this role written for her. Or they said, here's a role possible for you to take on, but we can always rewrite it somehow. And she said, no, I'm not going to be in this film because this is Emily's role. I am not, if I am in this film... I don't want to steal anything away from her. Right. She, did, she didn't want to come back and have people look, oh, look, it's there's the real Mary, Mary Poppins. Poppins. No, Emily Blunt is the real Mary Poppins. I give Julie Andrews credit for that. Yeah. So here's what hit me just now. Because I've, I've been sitting here wondering, like, well, I think it was really nice to see her. Like, I think Angela Lansbury is, like, uh, is a lot of fun to see. And she's clearly having fun playing the role. She's yeah. got that particular way of speaking where she says, now, pick the right balloon. <laughs> Or you picked the wrong balloon and it will drag you down. By the way, did you know I'm a fantastic murder writer? (laughs) J.B. Fletcher, my word. Uh, But so I've been sitting here this whole time, right? Thinking, okay, but I know she's kind of a Disney legend in her own, right? Yes. But why Angela Lansbury? And then it hit me just now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I figured that out she, a little bit later, earlier. Okay, but I hadn't. Yeah. Just like, I need to work, with, work on this pivoting now. She is a Mary Poppins equivalent in the pseudo-sequel Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Yes. Like, the fact that she's in this is all the more awesome because she was Eglantine. <laughs> Eglantine, Eglantine. Um, which I, I love Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Don't get me wrong. Fun movie. So, the fact that she's in this... Almost says, like, we've got a weird crossover thing going on. The balloon lady could easily be the same character, the witch. Yes. <laughs> and that she would know Mary Poppins and know her tricks makes it even better. So retroactively, I was like, I, I was like, why is this scene so charming? My subconscious picked it up, but my brain didn't. Mm-hmm. And that was that this could be the same character. This could be the same. Oh, my God. So 
now I'm kind of in love with the fact that um, they put her in this because it's the next best like equivalent of I when you introduce her like oh <laughs> um, another thing too is uh. So Angela Lansbury. Well, except she couldn't be the same character because, like, she was fighting the Nazis in World War II as a young lady. But you know, just spiritually. Uh, another thing. <laughs> World War II hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I know that's funny. Um, another thing too is Angela Lansbury still has her singing voice. She can actually sing as she did, like when she sang like Mary Poppins and in Bed Knobs and Broomsticks and such. Yeah, it doesn't sound like any different. Right? No, it doesn't. Um, unfortunately, if I recall. Um, Julie Andrews, I can't remember, but she can't sing like she used to. Right. I can't remember if it was because of a stroke or she got sick or something, but her voice can no longer reach those notes that she used to be able to. Yeah, understandable. So her singing voice isn't the best now. So it is kind of almost a blessing in disguise that they got Angela Lansbury, who can still sing like you remember her singing. Yeah, I don't know. It it just made me happy. It just, the, the, her inclusion in that, just seeing her pop up was such a pleasant surprise and it made me happy. That's all I can say. I, I, I drew happiness from that scene and my happiness is just elevated realizing that there's the bed knobs and broomstick connection that I wasn't thinking of at the time. But it's such a fun little nod that um I kind of love it. So, and I like the way the movie ended. Like I admit, everybody floating away on balloons, the equivalent of go fly a kite, in this is is it kind of got me a little bit it, like the nostalgia finally hit me to a point I'm like okay fine sequel you win you have your <laughs> moments i'll give you that um, um before we finish i just want to say that uh karen dotrice who was the original jane banks makes a cameo in this uh and it's just it's just so quick she basically asked for directions oh that's, that was her that was her i was yeah. wondering what that was about yeah, she makes her, she asks for directions, and that's it. But yeah, that's uh, the original Jane Banks. In that's the first nice. Film. I like that. That's very nice. So overall, um, you know what? It's fine. Like it's as it's as good as I would expect a sequel, a, a really earnest sequel of Mary Poppins to be. Maybe better than a sequel to Mary Poppins to be. But I don't expect a sequel to Mary Poppins to be good. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. I think this was fine. It yeah. has really really good moments. And really, really meh. Nothing bad, per se. Just meh. I didn't hate the film. I wasn't like, oh, this is awful. There's some, don't get me wrong, there's some scenes that I'm just like, uh, roll my eyes back. But then there's some really good moments, too. Again, it's fine. It's it's hard, too, because, as Rob Marshall said, this is a follow-up to an amazing movie, which I don't think really ever needed a sequel. It didn't. It really, no one was asking for a sequel as far as I knew. No, not at least not, at least not at that time. Yeah. It feels odd, but still. And Mary Poppins, like we rewatched it, it holds up. It oh, holds up very well. Absolutely holds up. It is a great movie. It's beautiful. Like, I don't have a mean thing to say about that film yeah i will i would rewatch that film this one for a sequel it's not the worst it's it's fine i give the people who made it huge credit for being able to make it at all and make it work as much as it did i don't know if i could have done better than them i'll be honest yeah it, it's hard because it's like because because i i just the idea of having a mary pop pop and sequel inherently in my head is a bad idea yes 
I agree. I honestly don't think a sequel is necessary at all. I don't even think they needed to make a sequel. Yeah, there really shouldn't, that's what I'm saying. There really shouldn't be a sequel. There shouldn't be. But here it is, and for what it is, it's, you know, it's a it's a good effort, and the parts that work, work really well. That's the best thing I can say yeah. about this. And um, I didn't have a bad time watching it, so there's that too. It is interesting with the music, because, like, uh, they actually had one living Sherman brother, I can't remember. Is that Bob? Uh, I believe so. I think it's Bob Sherman, who, so as a consultant for the yeah. music, and which you can tell, it's just nowhere near as memorable as the original. There's a couple of good songs. I think uh, a cover without a book is probably the one shining song from it that I'm like, I would re-listen to this. Yeah, same. The others are fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like nowhere to go, but up. But that's that's okay. cute. Yeah, you know what? Nowhere to go up. The final song is actually a very fun, good little finale song. Yeah, yeah. But again, you can hear "Let's Go Fly a Kite" all over it. Yeah, I think we're. I think that about covers it. Wow, this feels like a milestone though, too. You know, like we've been doing this podcast so long, and here we are. I mean, I guess it's kind of true that there's nowhere to go but up. Really? I mean, our next movie isn't up. <laughs> oh no, we're not. Yeah, that's gonna be. If we ever do Pixar. And unfortunately, the next movie isn't exactly it up either. Uh, our next film we'll be discussing this month is Ralph Breaks the Internet. Bye. <laughs>